Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I just closed the door so that we wouldn't hear the dishwasher going. Thank you for loading the dishwasher, by the way. You're welcome. I I try to do dishes as much as I can, but I've decided that the best way for me to load the dishwasher is to do it when you're not home. Because you're so critical. I'm not. (laughs) Of how I load the dishwasher. Listen, appreciate you and all the things that you do. I just, you know, there are some things that you could do right. And you choose not to. I do it right. It's just, (laughs) I feel um, when I'm loading the dishwasher, you just, Mm -hmm. you just stand there and look at me and you're just too judgy on how I load dishes. All right. I think that you Don't put the spoons in the front. Put the spoons in the back. Okay. What difference does it make? That's never been a real complaint. I have complaints of like, why are you just putting a bowl on top of a glass? How is it supposed to get cleaned that way? I mean, there's there's the general understanding of how a dishwasher works it's the and principle. you're just ignoring it. It's the principle of the economy of space. It's the, but it's not getting clean. So what's the point of putting it in there? Also, she criticizes me for how I put the silverware, how I put the silverware in uh, in the drawer, she uh, she always puts the knives in handle back, and that doesn't make any sense to me. Why are we getting into this? If you okay with the repeating closing of the silverware drawer, mm-hmm. because we have a mesh silverware holder, right. The tips of the knives get pushed in through the mesh and then get stuck. So you have to put them in the opposite way so that the tips don't get jammed into the mesh. There's nothing wrong with jamming your tips into the mesh. I don't know why uh-huh. you're making a big issue out of it. You're the one who's making the issue. I'm fine with criticizing you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, this is the box of oddities, yeah. by the way. Oops, we're recording, aren't it's we? The, <laughs> it's the podcast where, from now on, we just talk about household chores. <laughs> That's right. It's it's a kind of an offshoot. It's a spinoff of the box of oddities. Speaking of spinoff, laundry. Now, what's... No, I'm no. just kidding. You go first today. Oh, okay. Um, this one's lengthy and a little dark, so... Uh, Sorry about that. I, I. All right. So it's September 1st, 1974. Richard Cowden and his wife, Belinda June Cowden, and their children, David James, who is five, and Melissa Dawn, who is five months, were camping at a campground in the Siskiyou Mountains in Copper, Oregon. All right. I want to go to Oregon, by the way. Richard supported the family. He worked as a logging truck driver. He was 28 years old. Belinda was 22. And they had made their last minute plans to go camping for Labor Day weekend. According to Strange Outdoors, the couple loved to camp, uh, but they hadn't been planning to go camping that Labor Day weekend. He had been uh, planning to work around the house. He was going to haul a load of gravel uh, for the driveway and then spend the weekend getting that job done. But unexpectedly, the truck broke down. So instead, they decided to take the opportunity to take the kids camping Which, by the way, camping with a five-month-old to me sounds horrible. That's the worst thing possible that I could imagine. (laughs) You know, because they say that when you go camping, especially in the Oregon area where there are, you know, grizzly bears and stuff in the Pacific Northwest, especially there, you need to hang your food up in a tree so that the bears won't eat it. You can't put a baby in a tree. Though, according to that song about babies in treetops, maybe that's what was going on. Maybe maybe Rockabye Baby was... It was just about keeping safe from bears. I see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's August 30th and they take off uh, with their pet basset hound, Droopy, which is a great name for a dog. <laughs> um, they arrived at a campground near a creek. Um, they had been there before and they parked their 1956 Ford pickup truck on Carberry Creek Road, which was a short distance from the campsite. On September 1st, they had plans to have dinner at Belinda's mother's house, and she lived relatively close to the campsite, uh, but they didn't show up. So Belinda's mother got worried. She went to the campsite to see if maybe they were running late. And when she got there, um, there was no one there. The family's belongings, though, were still there. There was a plastic dishpan full of cold water. Um, Keys to the family's truck, as well as Belinda's purse, were right on the picnic table. Hmm. There was a diaper bag, camp stove, fully assembled, all in plain view. Employees at the Copper General Store said that they saw Richard and his son David at approximately 9 a.m. The two had purchased milk and then left the store on foot heading back to the campsite and that milk was still on the picnic table. So Belinda's mom's a little concerned and she noticed that there were uh, several items uh, lying on the ground, including his expensive wristwatch, as well as Richard's wallet, which contained like $20. She also found a pack of cigarettes, which uh, belonged to Belinda. That was what she was known to smoke. Um, And the family's truck was still parked at the road with all of their clothing inside, except for bathing suits. Okay. All right. But was it was it confirmed that they did take bathing suits? Maybe they didn't bring bathing suits. They took bathing suits. Okay. 
So Belinda's mom hung out for a little bit to see if maybe they had gone for a swim and were coming back. But she still thought it was really weird the way that the campsite had been left. So she's nervous. Uh, She hung out for a bit and then she left and went directly to the police. Um, After which the sheriff troopers and the District 3 office of the Oregon State Police arrived at the scene. Um, They said that it didn't look like anything had gone wrong at the scene. You know, there wasn't Mm. a sign of a struggle. There was So they were kind of like... Like, okay, well, you know, maybe they maybe they just went for a longer swim than we thought. You know, they they didn't take it seriously. And so the the investigation was delayed for, according to the police, about a day. But the following day, Droopy, the pet basset hound, was found scratching at the door of the Copper General store. And Uh so people were that's when people went, okay, Mm. something's not right. This launched the largest search in This launched the largest search investigation in Oregon history. It included assistance from state and local police, numerous volunteers, explorer scouts, the United States Forest Service, the Oregon National Guard. Holy crap. The U.S. Forest Service searched 22 miles of roads and trails surrounding the campsite. Helicopters and planes were flown over with infrared photography um, to see if they could detect any recently overturned dirt. Um, You know, they were hoping that that wasn't where they needed to be looking for these people but they figured you know they'd pull out all the all the stops and despite those massive search efforts law enforcement was unable to find any evidence of a crime good god so the tri-city herald on september 19th so this is 19 days later reported this Investigators still have no solid clues as to the whereabouts of a Medford area family who disappeared from a campsite at Copper September 1st. Lieutenant Tom Phillips said several detectives are assigned to the case, but they have nothing firm and an official search of the area was suspended September 7th. A $2,000 reward was offered in exchange for information regarding the family's disappearance. And keep in mind, this is 1974. Two grand was a good chunk of dough. And with the impending hunting season, Richard Cowden's sister wrote a letter to the Medford Mail Tribune pleading hunters to be alert for any sign of anything that, quote, could be connected to a man, woman, five-year-old child, or five-month-old baby. That's just smart. That's really smart. Well, utilize, they're going to be out there anyway. Sure, yeah. Um, Then a bunch of citizens were writing to the uh, senator of Oregon, uh, trying to get them to get the FBI involved. Mm -hmm. But since there was no evidence that the Cowdens had been kidnapped or taken across state lines, uh, their their petition was denied. And keep in mind, this is 1974 in Oregon, and there had been eight reported missing women in that area in Washington State and in Oregon. Was that... The Green River Killer? No, which which killer was that? Ted Bundy. That was Ted Bundy. Yeah, okay. So they're that. actually working to try to connect these two Ooh. things. I mean, obviously, it was it was determined later that they weren't connected, but at that time, they didn't know that it was Ted Bundy. Right, so they're right. you know they're like, well, maybe this it's just you know mm-hmm. randomites. April rolls around. This is seven months later. And two gold prospectors were hiking through the woods when they discovered the decomposing body of an adult male tied to a tree Uh on a steep hillside about seven miles from where the Cowdens had set up camp. 
They called police, of course. Police found a small cave nearby, and the bodies of an adult female, a child, and an infant were found inside. Oh, my God. So the entrance of the cave had been sealed off with rocks to disguise the entrance. So it just kind of looked like a bunch of rocks. Uh, But it was actually a cave, and those bodies were stashed inside. Positive identification of those bodies showed that it was the Cowden family. Autopsies revealed that Belinda and five-year-old David had died as a result of a twenty-two caliber gunshot wound. My God. Baby Melissa had severe head trauma. So law enforcement suspected that Richard died at the site where his body was found, tied to the tree. Hmm. But they were unable to determine his cause of death. It was uh, suspected by investigators that Belinda and the children could have been potentially killed somewhere else and concealed in the cave. uh, But they weren't sure. There had been a lot of decomp. And... um, Law enforcement searched the surrounding area for a murder weapon, but were unable to recover one. Now, there was no sign that Richard was a victim of foul play. There were you know, no bullet wounds or anything like that. Do you think, oh my God, do you think that he was tied to the tree and he just starved to death? Don't know. Holy crap. Don't know. Considering their proximity to, I mean, I guess seven miles is, is a ways, mm. but I would think that if he was just left at a tree, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. Mm. Um, there were some investigators who considered the possibility that he was the one that had murdered his family and had s- set it up somehow so that he, sure, you know, yeah. looked like he was tied to the tree. Um, but if... Uh, he was indeed responsible for the death of his family, then the, there would have been a weapon found nearby, um, or they, they assumed that there would have been. But no gun or weapon was ever found uh, to give police any leads. Plus, if he was going to murder his family, why would he buy milk? One of the lieutenants working the case, his name is Mark Kieser, um, said afterward that, quote, the whole nature of the thing smacks of a weirdo, which sounds like something a 1970s police officer would say, like, it smacks of a weirdo. You know, I guess, <laughs> I, I don't know. I know it's so casual. It actually sounds more like 1930s to me. Hey, it smacks of a weirdo, see? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's, yeah. Because that's how they all talked back then. Um, he did add, though, that he didn't feel like he was comfortable uh, discussing the case at that point. They were really mm. um, s- still struggling to, to get leads. So, of course, they're they're doing these interviews um, and they are wondering because of the cave, maybe it was someone local who knew of that cave mm-hmm. and utilized mm-hmm. it uh, because they knew of it. Um, they they talked to a family from Los Angeles who had arrived at the campground the same day that the Cowdens had. And uh, they said that they witnessed two men and a woman parked in a nearby pickup truck. And the the father of this family said that those people had acted like they were waiting for them to leave and, quote, frankly, made us nervous. So we moved on. Hmm. This is according to phantomsandmonsters.com. About a year later, the AP reported that the police had put together a timeline of what they thought had happened. Mm -hmm. So. Um, Richard returned with David to the camp after getting milk and the family went swimming at an adjacent creek. A short time later, probably before noon, the family was abducted, probably at gunpoint and mostly by most likely by someone that they did not know. 
uh, Kieser, that lieutenant, surmised that they were probably driven some distance away, forced up the steep slope where they were found, and at least three of them were shot. How do, how, I know that anybody that kills somebody is evil. There's evil in there. But what kind of evil does it take to bash a five-month-old baby's head in? Yeah. I I don't know. And what the fuck? The the brains of people who murder in these kinds of situations, there's no understanding it. And you have to be grateful that you don't mm. because there's a there's a void there mm-hmm. of, of something so important and and what makes us human and humane. Um, so, I, you know, I try to I get in I get in those same tracks where I'm like, what would make someone do that? And then I have to remind myself, be so grateful that you don't understand it. Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful way to look at it. Let's move on. Let's do that. So law enforcement consider Dwayne Lee Little of Roosh, R-U-C-H. Sounds right. Roosh, uh, a suspect in the family's murder. He was 25 at the time. He had been paroled from the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem in May, three months prior to the Cowden's disappearance. So Little, in 1964, at the age of 16, had raped and murdered a teenager. And uh, state police were able to determine that he had been in uh, Copper over that Labor Day weekend that the Cowdens went missing. Little's girlfriend, which the fact that he had a girlfriend makes me itch all over. Right. Do not date people who have raped and murdered Babies. It's just that simple. Yeah. Never do it. Never. There's really no good reason for it. It's so little's girlfriend told law enforcement that she had seen him with a 22 caliber gun right around Christmas time of that same year. And on January 12th of 75, so a couple months later, his parole was revoked after she informed informed after she informed police of possession of that weapon which way to go sometimes we get into situations we feel like we're trapped in them no you can always make better choices and i am proud of her even though i don't know her name or who she is but anyway so little's paroled again in april 1977 then in 1980 he picked up a pregnant woman named margie hunter whose car had broken down and sexually insulted and beat her those two, the, the woman and her unborn child survived and Little was charged and convicted of attempted homicide and sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. So we know he's in jail, mm-hmm. which is great, um, but it just shows that he has this almost unstoppable nature of doing these kinds of things. It's just who he yeah, is. It, he, there's something, something wrong. Something broken in there. So police later suspected that the two men and the woman inside the truck that that family from Los Angeles had seen were Little and his parents. And the truck that was described did match the description uh, of Little's family's truck. Little and his parents, though, denied any knowledge of the disappearances. But there was a miner um, who owned a cabin nearby, and he said that Little and his parents had stopped by... Uh, right around that time and signed a guest book meant for visitors. So they know that Little and his parents were nearby the campsite the day after the murders. 
when you said that a minor. It's like a or a minor. Like a prospector. Not a child. Yeah. <laughs> they signed the guest book. <laughs> like that? It was not a leprechaun. Oh, it was more leprechaun-y than grizzled prospector. I was going for grizzled prospector there. It didn't work. I've heard a grizzled prospector come out of you before, and it's it's nice. So I don't know what happened. I don't know. Then. I feel as though I let everyone down. I'm. I will. I feel sad. I will take some time alone and and reflect on that. Next time I have the opportunity to do a voice of a grizzled prospector, I I try. I'll try to not disappoint everyone so badly. Anyway, go ahead. So Rusty Kelly, which sounds like a. Uh, a, a guy, grizzled prospector. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's actually a guy who shared a, a cell with Little. Okay. And he later claimed that Little had confessed to the Cowden's murders. But uh, despite the fact that there was a ton of circumstantial evidence, including the fact that, geez, he has a long history of doing these kinds of things. Uh, <laughs> Little has never been charged with the murders of the Cowden family, and it still remains unsolved. No kidding. Wow. So is the case closed? And it's just a, or is it, is it, is it a cold case that's currently being investigated? I don't think that they're, yeah. co- I mean, it's been. Yeah. 70, 80, 90, 45 years. Math. You know, going back to my um, leprechaun slash grizzled prospector voice, I actually think it, uh, it sounds more like the crack fox. Oh, it was super crack foxy. <laughs> Peachat. That's for you UK listeners. It's not really a goblet, is it? It's more of a tennis ball cut in half. So uh, Dwayne Lee Little is still in jail. And uh, so that's something. Yeah, I suppose. Because I don't, I mean, I'm not a police officer and I don't get to... To decide these things, but I've decided that he did it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, I'm glad he's in jail. It's that whole thing of a up and vanished family, yeah. and their their weekend was an unexpected trip away to have some time right. as a family, and it's just I don't know. It's so tragic, and and the and the fact that there's been no justice for them right. makes it so much worse. Yeah, it's terrible. It really is. It's terrible. So we should probably end on some kind of a positive thought. Yes, please. Um, I do an awesome leprechaun voice. Do you? Halfway through and you're still awake? It must be time for That Thing in the Middle. Today's Thing in the Middle comes from Strange History, a bathroom reader. Again, one of our favorites. You can find it on our Goodreads page. And today we're reading about privy diggers. Before trash collection, people threw lots of stuff down their outhouse hole. Today, antique collectors are finding all sorts of interesting treasures by digging through old people's poop. It just makes good sense. So privy diggers are going through, they're finding bottles, tin cans, and other brand name items recovered from a hole underneath a 19th century outhouse on Franklin Street in downtown Annapolis, Maryland. That area was part of the African-American community. Now, here's the mystery. A surprisingly high percentage of items recovered were national brands instead of local products. So, why? Anthropology professor Mark P. Leon, who directed the excavation, speculates that African-Americans preferred national brands because the prices were set at a national level instead of by neighborhood grocers. 
By purchasing these brands, he explains, they could avoid racism at the local grocery stores where shopkeepers might inflate prices or sell them substandard goods. In another dig, privy diggers found three bottles of Wilkerson's teething syrup recovered from an outhouse in St. Charles, Missouri. Now, this was used to help relieve a baby's teething pain. What's remarkable about these bottles, privy diggers say, is that they were never found alone, so there was never a single bottle. So they asked, of course, why? Well, the syrup's active ingredient is opium which is highly addictive, of course, babies would get hooked on this stuff, which meant that parents had to keep on buying it to keep them from crying. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. So I just signed up for Stitch Fix and I ordered my first box and I'm very, you know, I'm a vest guy. I love a good vest. You do love a good vest. And so I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm, I'm expecting a vest in this box. Oh, really? Yes. I'm very excited about this possibility. What? <laughs> That's a lot of pressure to put on Stitch Fix. But... Sorry, Stitch Fix. <laughs> I'm sure they can live up to it though. One of the things that I really like about the sign up process with Stitch Fix is that they ask you all the things. Yeah. So like, what are your sizes? What are your style preferences? Are you a preppy? Are you a goth? What, what kind of styles do you go with? But then they also give you a section to like put in those weird little quirks that we all have. Like, for instance, I don't like big open necks. It makes me feel exposed. I put in, I don't like big open necks. They make me feel exposed. Yeah, and they said, great. They well, were like, cool, thumbs up. Not Ran. a problem. So you go there and you sign up. You, you take the uh, little quiz. They'll pair you with your very own personal stylist who will handpick five items and send it right to your door. My stylist, my stylist is going through the personal grieving process right now because she got stuck with me. <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> uh, but I have no doubts that there's going to be some amazing pieces in here. So you get them, you try them on, you only pay for what you love and you return the rest. Shipping exchanges and returns are always, always free. You can sign up for the schedule that works for you. So if you would like a Stitch Fix box every two or three weeks, you can do that. If you want it like once a month, perfect. How about once a quarter? You can even schedule it that way, which is pretty amazing. I have a friend who is in the corporate world and he's trying to make his way there. And he thought, this is a great way to give me an advantage. A personal stylist. I can look my best all the time. Right. Because we are broken people and we have an inability to understand that we can look good and what makes us look good. These people are non-biased and they're going to go, no, girl, that works for you. Get started now. At stitchfix.com slash box, you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash box to get started today. Stitchfix.com slash box. You know, with the new year upon us, uh, you have a schedule change at work, and so you're getting home later than you normally have been. And, and we try to break up the meal-making duties between the two of us, but I've had to do a little bit more than I'm accustomed to, and I just have to say thank goodness for HelloFresh. I would also say that because <laughs> I have come home to amazing, delicious meals, um, and it's so easy Everything's all contained. It's all pre-measured. It's everything that you need. Fresh, delicious, 
and there's no confusion about it. And you're not spending your entire day in the kitchen cooking delicious foods. It's 30 minutes max and you're getting delicious foods. Plus it comes right to your door. So there's nothing wrong with that. Most meals, they you only use a couple of pots and pans. Minimal cleanup. It's pretty much fuss-free. Oh, fuss-free. It's fuss-free. You can make deliciousness part of your every single week. Three plans to choose from. You can get the classic, the veggie, and the family. Of course, we do the veggie. And we've talked about the monotonous nature of food making that sometimes happens and you don't get that with HelloFresh. No. Like we would have never said, hey, let's try Zatar crusted grilled cheese. The grilling cheese was unbelievable. It was so good. Honestly, it's just not something that I'd ever even heard of. What is Zatar? I don't know, but it's delicious. What's been your favorite HelloFresh meal? Well, you just you just mentioned the it. Zatar. Yeah, yeah. Crusted grilling cheese. I'm a cheese enthusiast from way back. I think my favorite was that creamy mushroom ravioli. Mm. Do you remember that one? I do. Oh, so good. And that, that only took me 20 minutes to make. So you can get out of that recipe rut and start cooking outside of your comfort zone, but in the easiest way possible. It's HelloFresh. I give it a thumbs up. No, two. I wish I had more thumbs than I do because I would give them all. To HelloFresh. Take advantage of HelloFresh's special offer for 2019. Get $80 off your first month by going to HelloFresh.com slash Box80 and enter promo code Box80. It's like receiving eight meals free because you get $20 yeah. off your first four boxes. Come on. Take advantage of HelloFresh's special offer for 2019. Get $80 off your first month by going to HelloFresh.com slash Box80 and enter promo code Box 80. You can thank us later. You're listening to the Box of Oddities. The question is, why? Receive this message from one of you freaks. I have a story I'd like to relate to you. If you decide to share it, I would ask you don't use my name or any relevant information. I could count on one hand with a couple of fingers left the number of uh, people I've told this to in the 50 plus years since it's happened. It was late spring in 1967. My brother and I were getting ready for school when our mother started yelling for us to come downstairs. When we came into the kitchen, she was looking out the window, which faced a patch of woods that had been partially cleared to build a house. There was a hole dug with large piles of earth next to it. I'm assuming that was part of the construction. What we saw were three figures, one on top of the dirt pile taking leaves from a tree, one on its knees digging in the dirt, and a third standing as if on watch. Our minds interpreted them as three gibbon monkeys. And I guess it's like if you have no frame of reference, again, you sure. think of the. But they looked at it, they saw it as gibbon monkeys. Did they live in a place where gibbon monkeys would be a reasonable choice? Because no. around here, no. that would be... I know where he lives, Unlikely. but I, you know, he doesn't okay. want us to okay. say, but I can say this. There are no native gibbon monkeys where he's from. Okay. Now, a couple of years later, my parents were watching a TV show about the abduction of Betty and Barney Hill. When the drawing of the alien gray came on the screen, my mother started screaming, that's what we saw behind the house. <gasps> my mother is 90 and I'm 60. And to this day, we stand by what we saw. My brother passed away, but we all saw them and have never really shared this as it sounds too crazy. Wow. 
So I messaged him back and I said, did you ever have any other experiences like that? And he said, no, he has not. He didn't see a craft or anything like that. He just saw what looked to them as three gibbon monkeys collecting soil samples and tree leaves. Strange. That is strange. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's that's one of those weird things where it's like, do I tell people this or no? I appreciate it. Thanks for sharing it. You know, I was thinking, what is the box of oddities without an occasional story about a head in a jar? I think it's a valid question. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised we haven't done more heads in jars uh, episodes. Which reminds me of our Halloween costume from years ago when we were Father Mackenzie and Eleanor Rigby. We did a uh, a literal interpretation of Eleanor Rigby. It says in the song... Uh, all right. Eleanor Rigby... Uh, waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. So you had uh, makeup on. It looked like your face had been ripped off. And then you had a fake face in a jar. Yeah, that I carried around around with me all night. And I was Father Mackenzie wiping the dirt from my hands as I walked from the grave. So I was like a zombie priest. We got a lot of slow claps that night. Yeah, people who figured it out loved it. Both of them. (laughs) So anyway, back to the head in the jar. I'm getting my information from Atlas Obscura, All Things Interesting, Ooh. Ripley's, and Wikipedia. Oh, wow. The first thing you notice when entering the anatomical theater at the University of Lisbon's Faculty of Medicine is this one lone pickled head in a jar. This is Lisbon... In Portugal. Portugal? Yes. Okay. Lisbon, Portugal. It's yellow. It's peaceful looking. And people often compare it to like a giant potato with a face. Oh. Yeah. Who... I'll let you. Okay, go ahead. Here's the story behind it. In 1836, officials found a body floating in what is called the Aqueduct of the Free Waters in Lisbon. It's less than a a mile long, this body of water. The waterway allowed uh, suburbanites and rural farmers to traverse the landscape and uh, bring their goods to market. Okay, so it was like a, a, a roadway, but made of water. Yeah, more or less. I so, just realized how dumb that sounded. Please continue. So they uh, they find this body floating in the water, mm. and they think, oh, geez, that's too bad. There's a body floating in the water. Sure. Well, then, shortly after that, they found another body oh, no. floating in the water, and then another, <gasps> and then another, and another. No. And another. What's going on? They thought that it was initially a suicide, and then these were copycat suicides because the bridge that went over the uh, aqueduct, Mm -hmm. the waterway, was 213 feet high. Aqueduct! Sitting on a park bench. Bam, bam, bam. Sorry, what? So police thought, well, okay, somebody jumped off the bridge. Mm -hmm. And then other people who were distressed or depressed or suicidal thought, hey, that's a good idea. And they started jumping off the bridge. This is what they initially thought. This seems like a very simplistic police work to me. Well, it was 1836. Okay. I was just going to ask you what year. 1836. Okay. The bodies kept being discovered. Over three years, more than 70 bodies found floating under the bridge. So they decided, well, I don't know. We should shut the bridge down. They shut the bridge down. And then they discovered there was a significant increase in break-ins in people's houses and those people being murdered. What? I don't understand how this is all connected. I'm so confused. Well, they didn't connect it at first. Okay. But they did find out who was doing the break-ins and who was murdering these people. Okay. There's a guy named Diago Alves. 
Once they arrested him, they started putting the pieces together and soon realized that he was also responsible for the bodies that were floating. For the river murders. In the river murders. Yep. So he was given the, uh, and and, and what's a serial killer without a cool name, right? Even back then. Sure. He was known as the aqueduct killer in 1836. The aqueduct. Considered by many to be Portugal's first serial killer. He was born in uh, Galicia to a uh, a family that were peasants. Elvez, while he was a a child at a very young age, fell from a family horse and hit his head. Uh Uh-huh. You know he did. As we've talked about. Frontal lobe injuries. Yep. And because of receiving the blow to the head, he was given the the nickname Pancada, which means blow. Pancake head? Pancake head is even better. When he uh, got to be the age of 19, his parents sent him to work in Lisbon. He kind of floated from job to job, um, and then he just disappeared and stopped writing his parents back. He began to drink and gamble, and he met up with an innkeeper named Maria Gertrudes. It was believed by officials who later investigated this story that his connection to this woman and his drinking and gambling Mm -hmm. led him to begin committing crimes. Explain. Apparently, the innkeeper was a bad influence, and he was already kind of digging into what was considered at the time to be the under seedy underside of society, what with the drinking and the gambling. Okay, so he was kind of unstable yeah. and then met up with someone. Kind of like I picture the uh, Otis Tool and... Uh, was it Otis or Otis? I thought it was Otis. I thought it was Otis. I don't know. I don't know. It's probably Otis. Who's, it, who's named Otis? No one. Henry Lee Lucas. There you go. There we go. There you go. Um, I always picture them as both being like kind of uh, bad seeds, if you will. But then they got together and they become they became like this monster yeah, they fed as a off, pair. Fed off of each right. other. Yeah. And in, in a way, that's probably what contributed to this. So he started out with petty thievery. He would just steal things. Mm-hmm. And then he started essentially mugging people. But it wasn't long before he realized that uh, he could really be turning a much more serious profit. So he, he got a job working at a home which was near the aqueduct of Free Waters. Now, it was along this route that unsuspecting uh, commuters would meet Diago Alves, despite the fact that many of the workers who traveled long distances to reach the city were just humble farmers. They were not uh, rich people. They were not upper society. These were just people bringing their goods to market. And they would have to cross the bridge Mm -hmm. with their goods, their peddler packs, if you will. And they would set up a little stall and they'd sell their goods in the market square and then go back across the bridge and out of town to where they grew their crops or whatever. Well, what he would do is he would let them go by, but then when they were coming back with the money, he would steal their money and then throw them off this 213-foot bridge. Oh, my goodness. And he did this over 70 (sighs) times. And then they closed the bridge down, Right. and he forms a gang. He's like, hey, I've got a great money-making idea. Let's rob and kill people. And so- Oh, so unique and ingenious. Really impressed with you. Well, he thought for three years he got away with it, throwing people off the aqueduct. Why I they didn't stake it out even in 1836, it's beyond me. But you would think that if they suspected people jumping off the bridge, that they would have some sort of a patrol or something. Right. Or someone would notice this one guy with a weird head injury is always hanging out there. Yeah, apparently not. So he forms this gang and they start breaking into people's houses and they would murder the people and then rob them. 
it wasn't just like, we're going to take your stuff. They would murder them and take their stuff. I know that no normal person's going to hear this and go, oh, okay, I think that's a reasonable idea. Right, right, right. But I feel like I'm so irritated by that scheme because it's just so lazy and stupid. It's just, you're lazy. You're a bigger fan of white collar crime. I Yes, I mean... Crime? I can't even think of any sort of white collar crime. <laughs> Hold on. Stock manipulation. Yeah. Do it. I don't know. I'm just I'm just so irritated by I have a deep-seated irritation. No. I have a deep-seated hatred. I don't even want to say hatred. Dislike. Pancake. I have a, I have a, a deep-seated angst toward thievery. I just think mm. it's it's cheating and that it just bugs the crap out of me. Agreed. And like I said, I know that no one's like, yeah, I think that's great. Way to go, guy. <laughs> <laughs> Way to come out with that controversial anti-theft stance. <laughs> Cat. I, I just feel like I don't know. Uh, okay. It's like gang members. I'm like, ooh, you found other people to do dumb shit with you. Neat. I don't know. I just get so irritated by it. I understand. Well, the good news is the group was caught. Oh, good. The bad news is they were caught killing four people inside the home of a local doctor. So Alves was caught in the act of murdering these people along with his gang, and he was sentenced to death by hanging. Now, the innkeeper lady that he hooked up with, her 11-year-old daughter testified in court against the gang, and I guess her mother was involved in it too. Uh, her mother was eventually, the, the innkeeper, was eventually uh, sent to a lifelong exile in African colonies. How did they let an 11-year-old testify against her mother slash mother's co-conspirator? Come on. 1836, babe. Yeah, I guess. So he was hanged by the neck until, until he dead. Was dead. Mm-hmm. Mm. So then what happened? Well, at the time of his execution, which was 1841... Phrenology was becoming a popular science. Phrenology, that's the one where they think that your features, like your bone, your head bumps determine yep. what your your brain's like? Yep. It was the belief that certain mental or character traits were determined by the shape of one's skull. And I guess in this case, you know, if you received a, a frontal lobe injury, the answer is yeah. Well, if yeah, yeah. In a, in a weird Pancake way. Pancake head murdered people. <laughs> yep. That's phrenology, I yeah. guess. Largely today, it's considered a pseudoscience, of sure. course. But researchers at the time were all too excited by this possibility. And uh, they wanted to be able to understand what would make a person like Alves do such undeniable evil. So after he was hanged and he was dead, doctors uh, severed his head and preserved it for study. And of course... Alves was thought to be, and rightfully so, notoriously wicked. And they figured, well, here's a good a good place to, to start. Right. This is our gauge for not a good head. Right. There's nothing good there about that head. No. The thing is, there's little evidence that such a study of Alves's uh, personality ever took place at the university. <laughs> they just didn't they, get around to they it? They just didn't get around to it. They, sure. they cut his head off and put it in a jar, and then it just stayed on the shelf, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did do similar studies. The skull of Francisco Matos Lobo, a contemporary of Alves, he butchered a family of four and killed their dog. <gasps> he was examined by phrenologists in April of 1842, or his severed head was, 
And his head currently is just two doors down from uh, Alves's head. His head, though, is uh, it's in a glass case and it's just a patinaed skull at this point. They, okay. You know, it's not like a fleshy head. So they wouldn't even let them hang out together in the same room? No. Just they, their heads? They separated them. They said, yep. Alves, you've been really bad. You go to your room. Mm-hmm. This part of the university is uh, open to students and it's not typically accessible by the public, unfortunately, because I'd like to see his head. So it's still there and yep. it's, it's, is it still fleshy? You want to see it? Yes. Thank you. Because you said that the other guy's head is just, <gasps> it's still so fleshy. It looks like. It he... looks like a dude's, it looks like, okay, it looks like one of those optical illusions where someone pops their head up from a, like through yeah. a hole in a right. table. Yeah. Um, yeah. To give the illusion that it's just their head. I it, mean, his head's completely full. It's, well, it's obviously pale. And it's but, distorted by the liquid. Yes, it is distorted by the liquid, but there's absolutely, I mean, you can still see the whiskers on his face. His eyes are wide open. They look like they're looking right at you. His hair is, it looks like they cut his head off like last week and just stuck it in this jar. It is remarkable. I don't, I, that blows my mind because the other guys just skull bits he's, at this he's, point. he's just the skull yeah wow yeah many regard Alves as the country's first uh, serial killer and the last person to die by hanging but that's not the case a woman named luisa de jesus who admitted to poisoning 28 children oh. is the first recorded serial killer in portugal now she was whipped hanged and burned in the streets of lisbon for her crimes in 1772 Alves, who was hanged to death in February of 1841, was probably among the last to die as a result of capital punishment before Portugal did away with the practice. And that was, I believe, 1867. Wow. He was not the last, though. Probably a half dozen other people followed the execution of Diogo Alves, the aqueduct killer. Wow. And the guy whose head's in a jar in Lisbon, Portugal. That's, um... That's that's fascinating. I've not heard of that guy or his head. And uh, it, like you said, it's kind of disappointing that we can't go see it. Yeah, I want to go see it. But we'll have to s settle for pictures and we'll post those on our social media. Of course. Of course we of will. Course we I might change my profile picture. That guy looks better than I do. <laughs> Don't forget our live show February 27th at Zany's Comedy Nightclub in Nashville. Some general admission tickets still available. You can get them by going to our page, theboxofoddities.com, and clicking on the live show link. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. I'm so excited, and I've I, it's starting to feel really real. Oh, yeah. It's it's getting to the point where, like, you know, we've, we've booked our stuff. We yep. know where we're going. I'm kind of want to poop right now. Looking forward to seeing you freaks that can make the show. The Box of Oddities, it lands on your phone two times a week. We will see you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. 
Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.